financial literacy, and the human condition. Welcome to Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Welcome to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler, along with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Good morning. Good morning, Jess. How's it going? It is going all right. I'm trying to stay dry and trying to remember an umbrella, but I don't think that I'm ever going to actually remember it every day. You know, it's funny, maybe for our listeners, we should just tell them, you may be hearing this show at any other time on digital radio or whatever, but to Jess and I, it's still good morning, because that's when we record this show. So, uh, yeah, it's been a little soggy here lately. And I think that um, it applies to probably any week this summer, so I think we're fine, because all it's done is rain. Oh my gosh, it's, you know... When it first started, I said, oh, the flowers need it. Won't it be nice? (laughs) And now I'm trying to figure out where I can fit summer fun based on the weather. Right, exactly. At the weekend, can I take half a day off and go, you know, do something fun? So, yeah, everybody's dealing with it. But you know what I say? If I don't have to shovel it, it's good weather. That is (laughs) true. Something else that's not fun, though, that we're going to talk about today, which I'm excited about because I, I love reading up on this about why it's so hard for millennials to buy a house now, because it seems like it's near impossible. Yeah, well, you didn't want to talk about the weather all day? Shocker. Okay. <laughs> I can't do anything about the weather. I might be able to, to help here a little bit, at least in, in shining a light on things and talking about solutions and what's really going on for millennials. So, you know, for people who are listening who might not be millennials or might not be up on this, we're talking about a generation that's between well, this is 2023 when we're recording this, we're talking about a generation that's between 27 and 42 years old. Mm-hmm. So heavy sigh. The first thing is it seems like these folks are feeling like nobody really understands why it's so hard for them to buy a house, especially mm-hmm. my generation, which is I'm the last of the baby boomers, right? I, I'm on the tail end. The last year you could be a baby boomer, I was born. And there's this guy, Freddie Smith, who you know, as an actor, was on Days of Our Lives. He's now a real estate agent in Florida. And he's made a viral, and he's made a video which has gone viral. But I'd like to point out that although this guy is attractive and very charismatic, uh, he's only been a real estate agent for 18 months. Now, I'm not trying to discredit him. I'm trying to point out the fact that he's right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's only been a real estate agent for 18 months. Now, what the heck, folks? (laughs) If a guy who's brand new in the business, who's transitioned from an actor to a real estate agent in Florida can figure this out, okay, the rest of us should have this figured out by now. You know, he might be brilliant. I'm not casting aspersions on him. I'm just saying, as a new real estate agent, you know, he's made this video and it's gone viral. It's had 4.4 million views Mm -hmm. in, uh, I don't know, that was 2022. By now, it's probably gone, gone the second round. So so that'll tell you something. This guy posted this video in 2022. Here it is in the middle of 2023 or the third quarter of 2023 almost. Mm-hmm. And we're still talking about this. So what are we talking about? Why is it harder for a millennial to buy a house? Mm-hmm. Now, folks my age and older will say they don't work hard enough or we don't pay our help enough mm-hmm. or they spend too much money on cable TV or lattes at Starbucks or whatever they pick, right? Right. And why their lot in life, you know, this is why they're to blame for their own lot in life. It's because they're poor money managers mm-hmm. and young and they don't know any better and blah, blah. There's all these things that say, this is why millennials are having a harder time buying homes. Now, despite that, most of which are not quite all true, by the way, although they're all 
you know, they all have something to do with it. Uh, but it's not as easy as just, you know, cutting out Netflix and going to get a house, right? Right. Yeah. I, do, I do think every generation thinks their generation was the hardest. Yeah, I think so. But I also see people who are quite uh, sympathetic in my generation. And I'm only speaking about that because I do a lot of work with people who are getting close to retirement. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think some of us are very sympathetic to how difficult it is based on home prices and the high cost of living right? and the fact that salaries have not come up commensurately with that. And I, I, I think that's pretty easy to see. I mean, you can go out on the web and do your statistical research at labor statistics for, you know, income. And you can, you can check places like even like Zillow for the average price of home in your area. Mm -hmm. And you will soon see a difference. Yeah. So what this guy, Freddie Smith, was saying uh, that I do think he's right about, and I did check his numbers, and they're solid. Okay. Is that in the 1980s, he says, you bought a house for about $80,000. Now, that's pretty true. Uh, you know, there, it, it was a range of about seventy-five to about eighty-nine or 90000 80000 is a pretty close figure. Mm -hmm. And to quote him, he's saying to put down a 20% deposit, that's $16,000. Right. At that time, the average person made about $30,000, according to him, Statistics really show somewhere between twenty-one and twenty-eight thousand. So he's even being generous here. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so that meant that your sixteen thousand dollar payment was about half of your salary. Right. Okay. Now maybe it was a little bit more than half your salary if you go by the lower end of the statistics, but still, in one year or two years, technically, that could have covered your down payment. Now we all know. It doesn't work that cleanly. You you have other expenses, right? You can't just say, here's my salary. I'll pay off my house in two years. Yeah, there's definitely other factors involved in it, but it does seem a lot easier than it is now. Yeah, because it is easier than it is now. And in fact, it depends a lot on where you live and what your salaries are. We'll go into depth about how you can turn the tables here and maybe get a fair ride mm -hmm. when right now you might be feeling like, oh my gosh, I'll never pay this house off or I can't get into a house. So I want to spend time on that especially, but just to get some baseline here. Okay. In 2023, uh, an average house in Orlando, Florida, where this guy is, has experience, is $400,000. Now, that is not uncommon in a lot of areas in the, in the United States, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There are places that are much less expensive, but let's just go with this for a minute. And a $400,000 house isn't like any big mansion. It's like probably three bedrooms, two bathrooms if you're lucky. Yeah. It's a normal, it's an average price of a house. It's mm -hmm. not a mixed or you're right. Okay, so now 20% down on that, not that many people are doing that these days, or at least from, not from the millennial generation, but 20% down on that would be $80,000. Mm -hmm. Now, remember our earlier example that you could pay off the down payment, it was about half a year's salary? Right. Okay. In order for that to be true, you would have to be making $160,000 annually for this to be an even example, mm -hmm. apples to apples, right? But the average person is making about 50 grand. Yeah, now, way off. Yeah, now actually it's 56420 if anybody really cares about the median salary, but let's go for 50 grand. Mm -hmm. So now you're talking about four times close to it, right? You know, you're talking about now you need a year and whatever that is, two thirds or so to pay off your down payment, but your house is $400,000. Mm-hmm. So that still leaves you with $320,000 left to pay. Now, the nut to crack on that is, you know, about three grand a month, right? Roughly speaking, might be 3500 or so, depending on the interest rate. Right. 
the other mortgage you might have had might have been, in our earlier example, that might have been $500 a month. Mm -hmm. Now, everybody's going to say, yeah, but we make more money now. Let me just tell you, if you really think that, go look at the statistics. Yes, we make more money now in dollars. In fact, last week's show was about this, right? Right. (laughs) You change your income level. So, yes, our numbers are higher now, but not... The, the ratio is not the same for buying a home. Yeah, it's not now, and it's not equitable how much the cost of a house increased by how much more you're making. That's right. Now, why? I mean, what can we do to adjust this? And, you know, knowing it is one thing. Okay, realizing, hey, this is why it's so hard for me is one thing. But, you know, I'm not here to just go, wow, well, it's hard for you. you I'm here to help. Some solutions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So... But the reason I spent all that time in the beginning is because if you're between the ages of 27 and 42 and you're finding it very difficult to buy a house Mm -hmm. and your family is just saying to you, just work harder, (laughs) you know, or quit spending all that money on TV. Yeah. You should have some stuff to back up your side of the, the story if you care to discuss it. And it should be this. Okay. First of all, cost of living. Anybody at any age today understands that the cost of living has gone through the roof. Mm-hmm. You know, $3.50 for a gallon of gasoline, 6 bucks for a gallon of milk or whatever it costs, you know, that will change your bottom line. Mm-hmm. So now we, we are spending so much more money just to live. That's already eating into the money that we used to be able to save for a down payment or make in a mortgage payment. Well, as we were now, saying last week, where if you are living paycheck to paycheck, the thought of saving $80,000 just seems impossible. Well, that's exactly right. And banks know it. Mm-hmm. That's why we have loans with 0% down or people putting 5% down. But what does that mean? That means you get into a home more easily. But your so, your payment's bigger. Yeah. Yeah, you get into it sooner than you might have been able to otherwise, which you probably see as a great thing, and I see as maybe not such a great thing. Mm-hmm. You know, might get into a home that's more than you can afford before you're actually ready. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And now you have this huge payment. And for a year or two or three or five, maybe things go fine. But as soon as somebody gets sick or loses a job or gets has their hours cut back, or a common one I see is you know, police officers or people in the trade who get detail and overtime mm-hmm. and used to it. And the bank approves it on this. And now that gets cut back. Uh, you know, now you're in trouble. And we talked about this just before COVID hit, right at the beginning, where I said, uh, if anything catastrophic happens where you can't work, if you're in over your head with your house, we're going to see a lot of foreclosures. And you probably remember me really complaining, really grousing about the level uh, of prices for homes and people paying, getting into bidding wars, paying more than the house was worth. Yeah, it seemed Not like during COVID, people were scrambling like they had to buy, 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 buy. Even before COVID. But yes, it, during COVID, it was absolutely, people are, people got the sense, hey, we're not going to go on vacation. This is how our life is going to be. Let's put all our money into a home, maybe buy a second home. Mm-hmm. And bidding wars were going on like crazy. People would call me and say, I want to buy this house and I'm in a bidding war and how can I pay 30,000 more than the asking price? Can you figure out how I can do that? Mm, Yeah. And I would have to 
say the hard things that, you know, sometimes people don't want to hear and probably don't listen to, which is if you're starting in with your house upside down, so to speak, right, you owe more than it's worth, what are you going to do if prices drop or if you lose a job or there's a problem? Right. Or one of tries to take time off work voluntarily. And no one right? wants to hear that when they want something. No, they don't. And, you know, I have to say, people, I, I tell them right away, I'm going to tell you this. I know you're not going to listen to me. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, and sometimes people do listen. Sometimes they come back and say, I took your advice. I didn't do that. I'm really glad. Or, you know, I never hear from them again because they were mad at me. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it happens, really happens. Yeah. Okay. So what happens as we're talking about, if you're putting down a smaller down payment, is your your mortgage payment is going to be higher and you're probably stretching out the term. Now, you've heard me talk about this before, that out in California, we have 40-year mortgages. Right. We have 40-year mortgages because people couldn't make the payments. The same thing is going to happen here. One of two things will happen, Jeff. We either will be in over our heads in houses that will end up in foreclosure. Mm-hmm. Or the banks will have to become more pliable and give us longer terms so that we can afford the mortgages. Yeah, and that's scary to lock yourself into a 40-year term. (sighs) You know, 30 years used to be scary, but people become inured to it. Mm -hmm. I want a home. It's the American dream. And people are paying, you know, $2,500, $3,000 a month in rent. In the second half, I want to talk about that part, especially about what we used to say about rent and how it might be different now, and what can you do to give yourself a fair shot at this and beat the system? Okay, let's get your phone number in the meantime. Thanks. It's 413-773-3333. Or you can go to HugYourMoney.com. Much more with The Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Ram, coming up with Part 2 of Financial Fitness on WHMP. Have you heard about Get The Tea? It's an online herbal supplement company with high quality standards. You cannot find these in stores. They carry cleansing teas and targeted herbal supplements for all your health needs. Go to getthetea.com today to order yours. Health shouldn't be put off. It should be a priority. And check out their specials page for sale items. That's getthetea.com. Enter code TEA123 for 10% off exclusively for my listeners. Getthetea.com, code TEA123. Order today. This is Francis Rayum, The Money Doctor. Now you can become 100% debt-free, budget successfully, and retire well, all under the Hug Your Money umbrella. Hi, I'm Cheryl. And I'm Robin. I'm recently retired. He was not exactly anxious to retire and actually didn't retire for several years after 65. So I think having gone to uh, Hug Your Money, he got the confidence that we could make it work. If you think you know it all and have all the numbers figured out, you don't. You're too close to it, and you can't really see it in the perspective that you have to to be able to figure out how to take the next step forward towards the future. Hug Your Money could help allay a lot of those fears about finances in retirement, and I feel so grateful for that, and it's worked out. You heard it from Robin. Hug Your Money, Hug Your Money. (laughs) (laughs) Hug works best when we work together. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Hug Your Money. So unique, it's patented. Financial literacy and the human condition. Welcome to Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Welcome back to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler along with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Hello. Hello, Jess. We were talking about millennials and trying to buy a house and just how overwhelming it is. And 
This I saw this week in my news feed. There was a video from a mom, actually a TikTok, saying that she is tired of feeling helpless as a parent. She has grown adults. Her kids are 28 and 25. And that she thought by teaching them what she learned, that if you work hard to get a good job, you're going to get the things in life you need. But it's not that way anymore. She said that she's seeing her kids struggle to find their footing as adults. You know, everything having to do with COVID and then trying to save money for her house or whatever else. She said as an example, she told her son that you have to work hard, go to college or join the military. He went to college, got his degree, got a full-time job, and he had to move right back in with her when he graduated from college to be able to save enough money to maybe move out or get a house. She said yeah. it was supposed to be about two months. It's been 10 months. He saved almost every dime and still can't afford to live because one-bedroom studio apartments are $2,000 a month. And that's not yeah. that far off from what I'm seeing around here. Yeah, so let's talk about this because this speaks to what I where I was headed about, you know, one generation thinking that it's the same for the next generation and that if they're not able to do what their parents did, they're somehow failing. And, you know, you've known me long enough, Jess, and so have our listeners to know, I'm not much of a, a victim flag waver, right? I don't say, oh, poor you, it's all somebody else's fault. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to say the game has changed. Yeah have to do to survive today and get to the same place that the generation before got to is different. I won't say that it's more or it's harder, but it might be, Mm -hmm. but it's different. You have to get a different set of skills. Now, if you ask your parents, their grandparents had the same problem. Every generation as we advance is finding that they're in a different kind of uh, machine, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Lenders get smarter. um, Business people get more aggressive. Uh, the world economy changes things, the world gets smaller, everything is more competitive, and it's no longer a society where, at least not for most of us, you know, you buy a little house, you pay for it in cash while you lived in your parents' basement and saved up five grand, and then you grow your own food and you homeschool your kids. You know, we don't live like that anymore, mm-hmm. most of us. Now, some people, that's a, that's a trend, right? People want to go off the grid. But mostly, most of us, you know, grow up, either go to college or into a trade or do something where we end up in the workforce and Mm -hmm. where we are likely not paid as much commensurately as we might have been for that same position in retrospect, you know, in relation to your house mortgage and your other living expenses. Mm -hmm. For this mom who had this, I will say my heart goes out to her because she did everything she thought was right raising these kids. Right. And they don't have a fair shot in her eyes. Mm -hmm. The question is, what do you do about that at that stage? Now, Maybe they can't get an apartment on their own, but maybe they can get a roommate or two roommates and make it work. You know, maybe they get a job, if it's possible, where living quarters are part of the job. Like some of the schools will allow you to live on on campus as part of your pay, et cetera. So there might be something creative that could be done. And I'm sure, you know, I don't know this mother, and it sounds like she's done pretty much everything any mom would try to do for their kids. What I'm saying is that the younger generation has different challenges, and they have to especially early, 25, 28, you know, that's right in the range we're talking about, 27 years and older. That's just a different game. So some of the things that could change, let's talk about that rent, for instance. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, they're paying $3,500 for a one-bedroom apartment. Now, that may not be everywhere, but it's in their backyard. Mm -hmm. So one thing you could do is you could consider living somewhere else. I mean, this is a simple thing, Jess. I almost hate to say it, but... You know, we have the Internet. I I task eight graders with this, and they figure it out. Go out and figure out, you know, how much it's going to cost you to live in the state. Let me give you an idea. Here's a couple of websites you can go to. So 
he might say, gee, I just can't afford to live here. Right. But as long as he's able to live with his mom and save every penny he's got, I hate to say it, you know, he might keep doing that. Right. And part of her TikTok goes on to say that her daughter as well works six days a week, 12 hours a day to save up enough money for her own house. She said she finally got her house, but she's paying double what the mom was for her mortgage with the loan being the same amount. It does seem like everything is just more and and harder. Mm. She's doing that all on her own without a partner. She's really struggling. So and, and that's one of the other things is people tend to pair up in ways that they maybe didn't before, and it takes both incomes to be able to get a mortgage, to be able to get approved for a mortgage, right? Now, what's causing this besides just the fact that we maybe don't get paid as well as we used to and the housing prices have climbed, mm-hmm. okay? We can point to inflation. Inflation is the living cost I'm talking about where everything keeps going through the roof. But, again, with the tough love here, I'm going to say, what about credit card debt? Yeah. The average today has way more credit card debt than they used to. Now, in their defense, that might be a symptom of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. How are you going to pay for things if you don't get paid enough money? And if you have high cost of living, maybe you have a family and you've got lenders offering to give you money at a 42, 48, 50% debt to income ratio. Right. Right. So again, we're fighting a machine here. What about automobile payments? A high automobile payment used to be $300. I'm happy today if I see somebody with a $300 automobile payment. Yes. All right. I need to talk about what you can do about this. I was just going to say, do we have any solutions? Because this is just seeming uh, dismal. No, it does seem dismal. But, you know, I'm not here to, to talk about fluff. I mean, these are real problems people have. And I need to give you real solutions. So here's a couple of things you can do. First of all, you could consider working remotely if you're able to. Now, that's one thing COVID gave us. <laughs> that's the only good thing COVID gave us, probably. <laughs> right. You might be able to earn the salary that you make in California, but live in, I don't know, pick a state, Iowa, okay? Mm -hmm. And you might be able to make it work like that. Now, that might not be your first choice, but if you can earn high money and pay lower mortgage, you might make that gap that makes your lifestyle much better, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. So you could go on the web again and look for areas where housing might be reasonable, maybe even in another country. That's how people pay for college sometimes. They do it in Germany or, you know, where it's really inexpensive for them to go to college. Mm -hmm. Now, I hate to beat a dead horse here, but this show, I can't help but say the way to level this playing field is to use Hug Your Money. And get rid of debt. Well, not just get rid of debt, but take that mortgage that you're paying, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say you're going into a home. You finally get into a home and the items we're talking about happen, right? Uh, inflation continues, your income doesn't go up at a, the same rate, mm-hmm. and you end up on credit card debt, you have to buy a car or two, right? Yep. It's going to push you into some credit card debt eventually. Right. So now you mortgage a couple of car payments and maybe some small credit card debt, maybe some big credit card debt. It isn't that I just want you to pay off the credit card debt because that's like spinning your wheels. How foolish is that? Well, work harder, pay off your credit card debt. You have to break the cycle. You have to figure out why you were pushed into credit card debt, why you're in car payments that are so high, and how to make it more palatable, and what to do about it for the long haul going forward. And that's the game changer that Hug Your Money offers, because to go through it as succinctly as I can, if I put... So if you put your numbers into our website, right, without even talking to a person, you go through and you fill out the little form, you click submit, you're going to get that illustration immediately that shows you what your current numbers are compared and contrasted with what it would be with Hug Your Money. Mm-hmm. And you see immediately, hey, Jeff, you'll be out of debt 
not in 30 years, but in eight years. Yeah, I think, I think when I went through it, it was originally like 16 and it got chopped down to like eight and a half. There you go. Okay. And that's typical for most of our people is half the time or less. Our average timeline is 8.3 years for a client. Mm -hmm. And that includes mortgages. So now, yes, it might be really hard for you right now. And you could benefit from having the skills we're talking about, which are how to beat the machine, right? How to beat the game, mm -hmm. beat the their own game and keep your credit strong because you're going to need it. You really will. And most debt plans will harm your credit or they will only help you with credit card debt. So if we can, I wish everybody had this. I really do. We're working on that, Jess. Mm -hmm. But if you could have a method where it's easy to follow, you're able to put all your debt, any debt, if you owe your parents money, if you owe a 401k loan, if you owe the IRS, your mortgage, your car payments, you put it all in here. And a system is put right in front of you, a methodology. Here's what you do. Very simple. Mm -hmm. You pay these debts in this order. And when we have extra money or when one debt is paid off, we're going to do it the right way for the next debt. Now, this is not a snowballing method, which is very simple. You know, we pay off one debt, pay off the next. This is complex. We have budget, retirement planning, and debt all tied together. And so what happens is you start off working, maybe you start off working with your debt, and you see, wow, I could pay my mortgage off in 12 years instead of 30. This feels good to me. I am making the same payments. Now, that bears repeating making the same payments you're making. If you're saying to yourself out there, it's too good to be true, I dare you. Put your information in the website, schedule a free consult, and you'll see exactly why it works. It's logical why it works. It's been working for 15 years for our clients, right? Yeah. So, And it's patented at this point. So this is what I think could be, and I see it as a real game changer. I mean, I see clients all the time that are, in, that are millennials, right, that are in that age group. And when you can change it so that, okay, now they have a budget that works. Yes, we've worked their payments into an affordable range. So they get some breathing room and they're not constantly spooning out the ocean with a teaspoon, right? Mm -hmm. Then step one is just stop the bleeding, right? And stabilize everything, step one. But in a month or two, now we're on to the budget. Okay, the budget isn't, hey, I'm going to tell you what you can and can't buy. The budget is about gaining a sense of control and seeing where those other dollars are going. It isn't all going to debt. Some of it's going to groceries. Some of it's going to insurance. Some of it's going to, let's face it, haphazard spending, right? Mm -hmm. But when you see it, you're able to make the choices. And you might right. be able to see a little bit more an area where you'd be able to save for a down payment where right now it feels like you can't save anything towards it. That's exactly right. Because with those first two things now, and even with these modules are all set to work independently, but with those first two things, our goal is to identify and create a surplus every month that can go to savings mm. for a variety of things, whatever you want to be saving for, whether it's buying a house, whether it's retirement, whether it's, you know, taking a vacation, pocket money, college, whatever it is. You can't save while you're digging a hole into debt. You just can't do it. And if you are doing it, it will come back to bite you. So this is a long way around to get to my point. You know, there are some game changer things you can do. We're not the only game in town, but I will say I think if you're worried about your kids or you're, you're young and you're trying to get into a house or you're wondering how you ever get your mortgage paid off or stabilize your situation, you really owe it to yourself to take, you know, 10 minutes, look at the website. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't get hounded. You don't get spammed. You just put your stuff in. No account numbers. We don't ask for social security numbers. This is about big block thinking. And you put your stuff in. You click submit. 
bam, you'll see the results. All right, well, let's get your phone number because I do think that this is an area that your program is perfect for. Thanks. It's 413-773-3333. You can also visit HugYourMoney.com. We'll be back next Saturday with another edition of Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Ram. Thank you, Jeff. Have you heard about Get The Tea? It's an online herbal supplement company with high quality standards. You cannot find these in stores. They carry cleansing teas and targeted herbal supplements for all your health needs. Go to GetTheTea.com today to order yours. Health shouldn't be put off. It should be a priority. And check out their specials page for sale items. That's GetTheTea.com. Enter code TEA123 for 10% off exclusively for my listeners. GetTheTea.com, code TEA123. Order today. This is Francis Rayum, the Money Doctor. Now you can become 100% debt-free, budget successfully, and retire well, all under the Hug Your Money umbrella. When I was diagnosed with the spinal cord tumor, a lot of financial damage had been done. This can put a strain on, on your marriage. Instead of going right to that place of, oh, panic, take more money out, we'll be all set. This time we did contact Hug Your Money. So it was a whole different experience. I can't even put it into words. I mean, night and day. She's just invaluable. We don't know where we'd be without her and Hug Your Money. The recommendations, the strategies, and I have a a final word, if you will. Her financial experience is priceless, but she's also a wonderful person. Debt, budget, retirement. Hug works best when we work together. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Hug Your Money. So unique, it's patented. Financial literacy and the human condition. Welcome to Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Welcome to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler along with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Good morning. Good morning, Jess. How are you? I am doing good. How about yourself? Uh, I'm doing okay. <laughs> I'm doing all right. Um, I'm, I'm planning a summer vacation that I don't have money for and I don't know where I'm going. I just know I need time off. You always tell me this and you always. <laughs> on your feet. I think you, like many people, might be more uh, self-effacing than is than is needed. But yeah, everybody needs a little time off. That gets harder, I think, when you're a homeowner. You know, I, I have a friend right now who's trying to go away for six weeks and they have a dog and a home. Yeah. And they had a home sitter who was going to stay and take care of the dog and take care of the house. And two weeks before a six-week European vacation, they bailed. So yeah. they've been scrambling. Yeah. I know a lot of people that, especially in the winter, because we're in New England, worry about the pipes freezing so they can't go at all. Ah, yeah. I mean, leaving your faucets dripping, mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. but it's not quite the same. So, you know, a lot of people, I think we tend to think that the owning a home is the American dream and everybody must do it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of rhetoric around that, a lot of peer pressure, uh, expectations. Um, opinion. You know, I, I have a sister, one of my sisters lives in an apartment. She has always lived in an apartment. Well, not always, actually. She owned a home for a short period of time. But she prefers to live in an apartment because if something breaks, she calls the landlord. Mm-hmm. That's it. And, you know, her rent keeps going up, right? Because <laughs> yeah. that's what rent do. She doesn't build any equity. And she doesn't care. She's just like, I don't want to own a home. I don't want to worry about the roof or whatever it is that people worry about with a home. So recently you sent me an article, which was interesting, got under my skin a little bit as things. <laughs> and it said a financial planner said, if you want to create wealth instantly and you think you're doing that by buying a home, think again. Yeah. So I would say 
first of all, I'm not against buying a home. I own a home, right? It's not an investment for me in the same way that a monetary investment might be. And I think we can blame the government a bit for this. Because of interest might- rates or... No, because of, well, I'll call it propaganda. I, you know, maybe it's, but, and you probably remember when uh, home equity lines of credit and home equity loans, which we had never heard of before, mm-hmm. yeah. came to be. In fact, we would call it a second mortgage if you could get a second mortgage on your house. Mm-hmm. They softened that language by calling it a home equity line or a home equity loan. To this day, when people have trouble filling out the debt form for us on online, mm-hmm. they don't know what all that loan. We had to put in the drop-down menu those terms because people didn't recognize that they were, in fact, a second mortgage on their home, which just goes to show you how powerful marketing, advertising, government correspondence and rhetoric can be. So let's go back in history just a bit. Okay. To to before anybody had figured out much about mortgages. Now, I think we did a show once talking about who was the first entity to offer mortgages, and it was not a bank. It was an insurance company. Hmm. And they did it for what I would call rather nefarious reasons. (laughs) They they would offer a five-year mortgage, if you can imagine, five years to pay off your house. And if you didn't pay it off, they foreclosed. At that time, the houses obviously were way cheaper, though, right? Well, you know, that's what people always say. And it is true that as a percentage of your income, mm-hmm. houses were cheaper. But when you think about it, most households only had one income at that time. Mm, that's true. That's true. I remember so when was, my parents bought our first house, it was $40,000. Yeah. But you're yeah. right. Only my dad was working. So that is interesting. Well, it is because when the one person who was working, and it was usually the, the husband in the family... If he lost his job, you know, then the insurance company would come in and, hey, you can't make your payment and foreclose on the house. Mm -hmm. So they actually offered these mortgages as a way to own the property. Now, Mm -hmm. fast forward into banks and government getting involved, and we got longer and longer terms of mortgages. First, it was 10 years, then it was 15, then it was 20. Now we have mortgages out in California that'll go 40 years plus because the house yeah, the houses are just so expensive that you can't afford the payment even on your high-tech income. So they just give you longer to pay for it. That's interesting because I always watch House Hunters in those shows and I'm like, how are these people affording a million-dollar house? But if it's 40 years, that does make sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so And interest rates do come into play here. But where I was headed with this is because of the shift in how we now perceive our homes, right? Somebody figured out, hey, you can give get a mortgage, and you can pay for it monthly. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing that came for, maybe not completely in order, but one of the things that came out, they were beating the drum about all the time, and the reason I mentioned home equity lines is because they would start to say, you know, you need to build equity in your house. That's going to be, in some way, helpful in your retirement. Mm-hmm. But it's only helpful if you sell your house. Right. And then you've got to figure out a place to live with these enormous prices. Yeah. And exactly. Where else are you going to live? Mm-hmm. I have a friend right now who is complaining that he's feeling sort of stuck in his condominium, which he owns outright. Mm-hmm. But the homeowners association fees are $500 a month. Mm-hmm. And he's upset because he doesn't feel like he's getting anywhere near $500 a month worth of value out of it. Right. And 
saying to him, where are you going to live for 500 bucks a month? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Now he can sell the condo and he can roll that money into something else. But you can see why I'm saying, you know, this financial planner brings up a good point. If you think you're buying a home to build wealth, if you are rationalizing or deluding yourself, hey, I'm going to buy a house and this is how I'm going to build wealth. If it is your primary residence, you need to do a little check on that and say, wait a minute, am I kidding myself? I want to buy a house because I want to buy a house. Mm -hmm. I want to live there. I want to fix it up. I want to have my friends over for dinner. That's the value in buying your home. Not that it is an asset. Now, as financial planners, you know, people love to say, but you're worth this much because you have this equity in your home. Mm -hmm. But accessing it is a different thing. So along comes the government again. And I'm not anti-government. I'm just saying we need to pay attention to what has happened to us about the concept of home ownership. Because you are absolutely right. People used to pay $5,000 $5,000 for a home. My parents paid $13,000 for their home for a nine-room colonial on four acres. Wow. And and when they got to the bank, the man for the closing, the, the seller said, oh, I have another 17 acres I'll give you for 500 bucks if you want. <laughs> Isn't that great? Well, I, wish, but, like, I wish I knew now what I knew then I could go back and buy all that stuff. Oh my gosh. You know, it's really, it really is something. And, and one of the problems we have is, and I'll talk about home equity loans in a minute, but one of the problems we have with this investment idea is that people tend to refinance their homes over and over and over again. And this I will lay at the government's doorstep or the banking doorstep. When they started to say, look, you got this house that's worth all this money and you've got equity in it and that's your biggest asset. And you should be able to use that asset without selling your house. And the home equity loan, second mortgage, name it what you will, was born. Mm-hmm. Here's a way for you to get money out of your house without selling it. So it seemed very logical. Mm-hmm. But now you've maxed out the value of your home and you're making this payment. And very often it's been done for things like, well, you said, I need a vacation, right? A lot of times people just say, look, this is, we have all this equity in our home and we want this expensive vacation. The kids are getting older. Disney won't wait. Europe looks good, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And we just don't have the money. And it makes more sense to take it out of our home equity loan at, you know, 7% than it does to put it on this credit card at 25%. So we'll do that. Mm. And while we're at it, let's uh, pay off our credit cards and let's, pay off our car and let's, you know, put some cash in the bank and we'll just use the equity in our home. And that all sounds great when you're getting ready to do it, when you're signing the papers to do it, mm-hmm. uh, because the payment is very small. And you think this is great. But, you know, 10 years later, if it's a line of credit, that is going to amortize. And you maybe have another 10 years to pay on it or 15 years to pay on it. And if you owe a lot of money, that's a fairly short term for a mortgage and your payment is going to skyrocket. Do you think that there is ever a good time to use the home equity line for anything? Yes, I do. Okay. Are you surprised by that? Yeah, a little bit. Because I sound so negative about it. I don't think it's a good thing to put the kinds of things we were just talking about on your home equity line. Mm -hmm. I know, I know the propaganda is, but the interest rate is lower. And it's deductible, or at least it was deductible. Mm -hmm. But I think there are better ways to manage that kind of debt. 
Where I think a home equity line makes the most sense is for home-related expenses. So, you know, windows cost a fortune these days. Painting costs a fortune. Everything costs a fortune, mm-hmm. right? And if you don't have the capital to do it, and you absolutely must do it, you can't save for it, then a home equity line, I think, is a good place to put it because it makes sense, right? You're, you're borrowing against the equity in your home to improve your home. And hopefully raise the value. Well, maybe. Maybe, okay. But that also can be a bit of a trap because people say, I'm going to throw a lot of money into the kitchen and the bathroom because that's where all the value is in the house. Mm -hmm. You have to be careful not to over-improve it. It will bring the value of your house up a bit, but ask any real estate agent and they'll tell you, although it may make it easier to sell, your house is only going to comp out. In other words, it's only going to compare in value to other houses that have sold in the last three months or six months in your area. Right, right, right. So, yes, an appraiser might give you a little more credit for a better bathroom and kitchen, but it's not common. I also think this is one of those times, and we've talked about this before, about where you need to really know yourself. Because I had a really good friend who took out a home equity loan to do just that, to do work on the house. And Mm -hmm. before she knew it, the money was gone on other things, whether it was credit cards or vacations or whatever it might be. And then that money that was going to be used towards the house, you know, was no longer there and nothing was improved on the house. Yeah, it happens. I think that maybe one of the most difficult things I say to people, uh, they don't want to hear it, (laughs) (laughs) but it's a a lesson well learned if they can grasp that and, and warm up to the idea. When they're saying to me, well, we have this money available, you know, should we use this for that or should we use it for this? And I'll say, what would you have done if you didn't have that money available? Pretend that you're strapped for credit. Pretend you don't have a credit card. Mm -hmm. Pretend you don't have a home equity loan waiting in the wings. How would you manage this? And, you know, I have to give a pat on the back to one of my clients who called me yesterday, actually, to give me an update. So a few weeks ago, we had had a conversation about she wanted to take some money out of her investment. And I said, that was fine. I could help her do that. But we had a real conversation about why she was doing it. Mm-hmm. And in fact, she wanted to make improvements on her home. And I said, what about a home equity line? Because your investments are earning more than that. And it is home improvements. And it was, you know, it's fairly minimal compared to the equity in her house. I didn't fear that she was over improving. She's quite a conservative person. And she said, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Plus, I owe my sister some money. I said, eh, well, hang on, <laughs> hang on. <laughs> I, you know, owing your sister money. I'm not sure that should come out of your home equity line. But I just said to her, why don't you sleep on this and get back to me? There's nothing urgent here. Mm-hmm. And yesterday she called me and said, I don't want to take any money out of my investment. And I don't think I'm going to take that home equity loan. She said, I'm, I'm saving pretty well. I'm just going to continue to save and do the repairs as needed. And if something really gets urgent or really gets out of hand, I can always fall back and get the home equity loan. Mm-hmm. And this is a woman who, when we started working together, you know, really would say to me, I, I just don't know anything about money. I, I, you've got to teach me about money. And now she's making these really prudent decisions. I'm so proud of her. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, let's talk more about this in the second half. But first, I want to get your phone number for anybody that might need a little help with this. Sure. And I just want to say, if I sound judgmental on the radio, I'm not that way when we meet. But this is my place to uh, Andy Rooney up. Uh, (laughs) So my number is 413-773-3333. Or as always, you can visit HugYourMoney.com. Much more with The Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rime, coming up in part two of Financial Fitness right here on WHMP. This is Francis Rayum, The Money Doctor. Now you can become 100% debt-free, budget successfully, 
and retire well, all under the Hug Your Money umbrella. The worst thing that people can do is when they refinance their house to roll everything in. We've been really struggling. And so if we can get some wiggle room by refinancing the house, I guess the goal is, oh, well, it'll be better. Even recently when I had gone to the credit union and they, the woman there had said, I could have helped you. But what she said was when she talked to me about the loan, it was rolling it all in. It was taking that credit debt that I do have and roll that in together. And then she was like, look at that. You'll only pay such and such. But then as I walked away from it, I thought that's exactly what we keep doing. Debt, budget, retirement. Hug works best when we work together. Schedule your free consultation with a Hug Your Money coach today. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Hug Your Money. So unique, it's patented. This is Francis Rayum, the Money Doctor. Now you can become 100% debt-free, budget successfully, and retire well, all under the Hug Your Money umbrella. If I don't blame her for what happened, I blame myself. As long as I'm working and making some money, I'm, I'm happy. Rather than argue with her about stuff, I would just say, oh, whatever, do what you need to do. And the same thing for her sometimes, the friction. And it was just causing trouble in our relationship because I wanted to say, we don't have the money for this. You can't buy that. But yet, I don't want to deny it to her. Because I do all the books, he has no idea about the budget. He has no idea what I have to do to manage a budget. Actually, I don't believe very much in fairy godmothers. <laughs> but mama. <laughs> Debt, budget, retirement. Hug works best when we work together. Schedule your free consultation with a Hug Your Money coach today. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Hug Your Money. So unique, it's patented. Financial literacy and the human condition. Welcome to Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Welcome back to Financial Fitness. I'm Jess Tyler along with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Rayum. Hello. Hey, Jess. We're talking about whether buying a home and home equity and home equity lines, whether they're, I mean, not whether they're good or not, but whether you should be doing that for certain things or not. Yeah, and all with the eye on this lead off in our topic, which is if you think you're building immediate wealth by buying a home, think again. Now, I would expand on that a bit and say, of course, there are ways to build equity in real estate. Mm -hmm. People ask me all the time, is real estate a good investment? And I will always say as part of your portfolio. I would be a hypocrite if I said no. I've bought and sold my share of real estate and made good money on it. Mm -hmm. So there is a way to build wealth in real estate. But we're talking about your primary residence. Yeah, I know we had questions from listeners a few shows ago, and one of the questions was about generational wealth. And you were saying if you're buying a vacation property or whatever that you can sell, but not your primary residence. You know, that's a very good point, because when we're talking about building wealth, it may not be wealth that you get out of your primary residence, but... Mm -hmm. You know, recently I had a, a client whose parent died and left them a bunch of property. And the property was mostly paid for and can be liquidated and, you know, whatever had to be paid off on it was. But that wealth is now passing to his heirs. Mm -hmm. And so in that way, he did build wealth, at least for the next generation, with the real estate. And it was a primary residence mostly. So that is important. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just to put this into a little perspective, Jess, 
you know, we have all these statistics from the database, right, of, of what really happens in the real world with our clients and their debt and their monetary assets and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And I, I lean on those because I breathe them, right? We know it's not somebody who got paid to slam something a certain way. This is really what comes out of our system with a cross-check on all of our people, which is a pretty varied group of people. And I will tell you that it's pretty interesting. When we look at just averages, right, the average monthly payment for all the debt that our people have mm-hmm. is just a little over $2,000. Really? Now, yeah. Now, most of the time, it's more than that. But we have a lot of people with no debt. Okay. I was going to say, that seems low to me. Yeah, it pulls it down. But the total average debt of the people that do have debt with us is 273000 mm. And that includes their mortgage. Yeah. Now, when we talk about that, when we talk about debt companies where, you know, debt companies manage credit card debt, that's what they do, right? Mm-hmm. But we're managing student loans and mortgages and everything else in here. So to, to just put a finer point on that, if their total average debt is 273000 and the average mortgage is 225000 mm-hmm. okay, it's silly to ignore that. And in terms of building wealth, well, let's look at it this way. The average original payoff for our clients when they come to us, right? And they've got credit card debt and student loans and car payments and 401k loans and mortgages, right? Mm-hmm. The average payoff is 31.2 years. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot. The average timeline with us is 8.7. Yeah, it's a, that's incredible. It, it is incredible. And, you know, people do it every day, right? But when we're talking about building wealth, if you're going to look at building equity in your home, mm-hmm. even if it's your primary residence, which we're saying, look, don't pay attention to your primary residence as an asset, right? Mm-hmm. But it, let's say this, let's say you pay your mortgage off with us in, in an average, let's say because the mortgage is usually the last priority debt, 8.7 years. Now you have all equity in your house. Mm-hmm. Now, if the market is good and you decide to sell it and move somewhere else or whatever, you're you're beating the game a bit, right? You're ahead of the Yeah, you're game. in a much better position. Yeah, and what a lot of people choose to do when they find that they can pay houses off this quickly is to buy another one. Mm-hmm. All right, I just paid my house off. And for some people, it's five years. For some people, it's 10 years. You know, it averages at 8.7. But if you can buy one house off, now you might be buying another property that is a rental income property or maybe it's in a vacation area, you're going to Airbnb it. Maybe it's uh, just another house that you're going to flip. Maybe it's commercial real estate. Maybe it's land. But once you learn how to pay them off quickly like this without sending, you know, gobs and gobs of extra money, then you can really leverage that. Mm-hmm. So the other thing that I see a lot, because I, I love all these HGTV shows, and this is not ideal for a lot of people, but if you're willing to buy like a duplex or something that has a guest house on it, somewhere where you can have or even have a roommate where that money is going towards the mortgage. So you're paying off a good portion of it with someone else's money. Yeah. You know, I recommend that often with people when money is really tight and they just don't have any any other place to turn to. Mm-hmm. And when there's really no place else, I'll say, have you considered a roommate? And, you know, they may not like it, but it could be a big solution. And you're absolutely right. When people are trying to get into a home and I feel like they might be buying too much home and they're going to get themselves in trouble, I remind them that the reason you're doing this is because you want to have a better life. Mm-hmm. And how it feel when you can't make your mortgage payment every month. You're not going to be very happy. So think of it as plan A, plan B. Maybe your first house is a duplex. Now, here's a perfect example of building equity in a property as an asset. Buy a duplex, for instance. Tolerate being a landlord. You know, make sure that one rent will pretty much float your mortgage if you can do it. You know, that you're on side, that you can pay for it. Mm-hmm. Second rent that's coming in is a bonus and, you know, allow yourself 
they say 75% occupancy, I'm going to say 50. Mm-hmm. If you could vote it with a 50% occupancy, I'm, I'm going to give that my, my vote of approval. And now do what we're talking about, pay it off ahead of schedule, right? Mm-hmm. And then that's plan A. And then plan B might be your dream home. Right. And you may choose to keep your first house and get the rental income on it. It's paid off by then or close to it, right? Mm-hmm. Or you might choose to sell it. And then it really does become an asset. Yeah. Yeah, there's plenty of profit in real estate. But I think you have to be careful not to say things like, well, real estate always goes up. It mm-hmm. doesn't always go in a straight line. It goes up and down just like anything else. I yeah. I do like that it's a tangible asset, that it will have some value of some sort almost always. And I do think uh, that you've got to keep in mind, like especially with you're talking about your sister having an apartment, that you're going to have expenses with houses. Like you're responsible for all of that stuff, whether it's a new roof or a hot water heater or whatever. You know, th- that's always going to come up. Well, there's no doubt. And if, if you're wondering why homeowners association fees go up or rentals go up, it's because somebody has to foot that bill mm-hmm. and t- keep going up and repairs keep going up. So when you're buying a condo or you're renting an apartment, you're in some form of home ownership. You just may not be in the kind that you see it as a single family dwelling. I was reading this story, which I thought was really interesting about this woman who bought a house in Atlanta. And I don't know how much it was, 300,000 or whatever. And she got herself a tiny home, put it in the backyard and then rented out the main house. So she's Mm -hmm. basically living for free because the mortgage is getting paid and she's living in the tiny house in the backyard. Yes. Yeah. Well, as long as your zoning allows that sort of stuff, you have to always check on those things. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, people get very creative with the way that they make money on real estate. And, and you can, I used to say that when I would buy a home and then flip it, right? I would say, I don't make money when I sell it. I make money when I buy it. Hmm. And I really meant that because I would buy it for less than it was worth. Right, I would have right. equity in it. And I knew that I would then, you know, improve it slightly and then sell it. So yeah, you know, it's, it's a funny world when you're looking at those kinds of things. Let's put a little perspective on a mortgage. Now, I told you that our people, the average mortgage is 225000 Again, average is a kind of weird to deal with because people say, that's all. You have to remember that there's people with, you know, a $5,000 mortgage left in these numbers and people with million-dollar mortgages, right? Yeah, 225000 does seem low for what houses are going for right now. Well, you need to also remember that this is not a brand new mortgage for people. The people that we're drawing these numbers from have already got mortgages, most of them, and have been paying on them for years. Right, right, right. So the average amount of mortgage that they're carrying when they are in our program right now is 225000 Now, the interest rate right now is hovering around 6.89, 6.91, just under 7%. It's awful. But it, well, It's awful. Just, just wait. It could be worse. So 200, $225,000 on a 30-year fixed rate loan at that kind of interest rate, 6.89. Now, we're not talking about adding taxes and insurance or... Condo fees or whatever there might be, yeah. Yeah, or anything. And just that payment for 30 years is almost $1,500. It's mm-hmm. $1,480, I think. Now, of that payment, when we're talking about are you building equity, when you're starting off a loan, less than 200 bucks of that is going to principal. Oh, it's so awful. Yeah, which is one of those things that, you know, when you break that down, there's about, hundred and I don't know, $185 roughly of that is principal. And, you know, somewhere around 1300 of it, again, roughly ballpark, is uh, interest. Now, as you continue the loan, the more you pay on it, the more principal comes out of every payment and less interest. 
but they are stacked up front in high interest. That means when people are refinancing, 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 I say pay attention to what you're doing. So what happens is people refinance their home because, oh, maybe they want to take a little money out to fix it up or whatever, and they don't think about the home equity line angle. Maybe a banker has said, look, we have a better rate, right? And usually what happens is they refinance to get a better rate and a lower payment. And the reason they get a better rate and a lower payment is that rates have gone down and you're stretching it out usually to another 30-year loan. Sometimes people will try to do it in 15. But let's just say that you're refinancing your 30-year loan, which you've been paying on for 10 years, Uh and a new 30-year loan. And you say, but look how much lower my payment is. You've already paid on it for 10 years, and now you're stretching it out for another 30 But what you really need to pay attention to, and I've never found anybody, not one single person I've talked to who closed on their loan and had anybody say to them, but you realize you're going to be paying all interest up front again, right? Oh, that's awful. (laughs) (laughs) They should come with a disclaimer, like on cigarettes. Well, you know, I'm sure it's in, I mean, it's in the amortization schedules they give you, right? Right. But who's about that? What they're thinking about is I got a lower payment, I get cash out, I can fix my problems, I'll sign here, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. But- That's what you're doing when you're refinancing. You're starting that interest rate clock ticking all over again. And that is, you asked me earlier, is there a place for a home equity line or home equity loan? Yeah, instead of doing a cash-out refi, when you have to take equity out of your home for home repairs, you know, that might be a better way to do it. No closing costs. Yes, you're paying interest only. Mm -hmm. One word of caution here. The things that I recommend that people do, I do because that's how we see it in Hug Your Money. It may not be the same advice outside of Hug Your Money. And what I mean by that is if you take a home equity line of credit, let's say, we talked about this earlier, you probably have a 10-year drawdown period and then it's going to amortize over 10 or 15 years, which means it becomes a real loan with a principal and interest payment at that point. But during that drawdown period, a home equity line of credit or a HELOC is interest only. Now, you might pay more than that, but most people pay the interest only. And the sad part about that is you are paying all interest for 10 years, and it's all gone. That's it. And then you're going to amortize that loan. What we do typically, as I said, our people are out of debt on average 8.7 years, and that includes you know their mortgage, their home equity line, all of that. What we try to do is when we put it in our system, let's make sure that it's getting our margin, what we call margin, too long to go into right now, but let's make sure that it's getting margin enough to pay it off before the 10-year mark, before it ever amortizes. Phew, a lot of information. <sighs> too much. I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get your phone number. People have more questions for you, and I'm sure they will. Sure. 413-773-3333. Or as always, they can go to hugyourmoney.com. Or if you would like to send us an email, you can send that to info at hugyourmoney.com. Make sure you put radio in the subject line. And then if we use your question on the air, you're going to get a copy of the book. Absolutely. The book is called Get or Alive. It's sold on Amazon for $15.95. And uh, we'd be happy to get your copy of it. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, Dr. Francis Ram, right here on WHMP. This is Francis Rayum, The Money Doctor. Now you can become 100% debt-free, budget successfully, and retire well, all under the Hug Your Money umbrella. We don't know where we'd be without her and Hug Your Money. The recommendations, the strategies, she is just this rock. We got the news that uh, Carrie had a tumor inside her spinal cord. Our lives changed um, right on a dime. It's very stressful. It's devastating. 
financial spiral downhill. We're solid, but it can put a strain on the best of marriages. Who do you look to to regain that control? I'm Mike. I'm Carrie. We chose to use this to strengthen our marriage, and it works. And I would recommend this. It has brought us closer together and only strengthened us. Debt, budget, retirement. Hug works best when we work together. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Hug your money. So unique, it's patented. This is Francis Rayum, the Money Doctor. Now you can become 100% debt-free, budget successfully, and retire well, all under the Hug Your Money umbrella. We don't have a lot of debt. Actually, I'd say we have almost none. And so that sort of made me fear we didn't need Hug Your Money. Hi, I'm Cheryl. I am Robin. I'm recently retired. For me, retiring was really scary. We're not really good when it comes to handling money and knowing what to do with it. Even if you have just a little bit of debt, you still have to do something with your money and make your money work for you. Then Cheryl agreed with that. So we made an appointment. We decided to sign on board. Yeah, we learned an awful lot and uh, are still doing that. Whether you've got little debt or mountains of debt, I still think that perspective is invaluable. A tremendous help. Yep. Hug your money. (laughs) Hug works best when we work together. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Hug your money. So unique, it's patented.